We are in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25, to look at the giving of gifts. Probably not a usual sermon topic, but it is a theme in God's Word. So Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, and I'll also read verse 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Let us pray. Our Father, we pray that you will please bless us with understanding, but also belief in your word and not in man's word, in your ways and not in man's ways, and to have the faith that trusts you for all things. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I thought it would be Uh, An interesting look to focus on what the scriptures teach us about generosity and giving gifts. And I want you to maybe think of a gift that you received from someone at some point in your life that made it special. And think about what made that gift special. I suspect that most of us can pinpoint at least something that we have received, and if you have not, that uh, may just be a case of not accurately reflecting upon life. I suppose there could be such a case, but I think most of us have received many, many gifts. And thinking about what made it special, uh, usually for most of us, it is the context and the thoughtfulness and the person and what went into it that made it special. Sometimes it's not even the gift itself, but what we imagine or know to be the case that was behind the gift. But whatever the case may be, uh, perhaps you've been able to think about the receiving of a gift. Now, there are many ways and reasons by which we receive gifts. And I think it's important to look at some of these. And they can actually be combined. So it's not necessarily it's either this or that. Sometimes it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So the highest reason for which we can give a gift, and this should have no argument for those who are Christians because it is at the heart of the gospel, the highest reason is always love. Love is the highest reason for the giving of any gift. No greater love has a man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Love is the highest. But then sometimes there's a duty behind why we give gifts. It may be an actual duty. It may be a societal duty. You think of Christmas, and uh, I think a lot of parents give gifts because Maybe they grew up receiving gifts as children, or others do this. I don't suppose every parent comes to this individual conclusion that on 
December 25th, they're going to give gifts to their children. Uh, my dad did actually uh, come to the opposite conclusion, but my mother made up for it, so it all worked out. Uh, and we would invite him in when we'd all finished opening our gifts and bring him in and say, here's your gift that we got you and give him a gift. So he would spend a few minutes with us at the opening of gifts, but otherwise it was just a free-for-all for the first hour of mayhem. But it was a societal pressure, so to speak. Give gifts because it's Christmas, or maybe give your coach a gift. Uh, A lot of times there's a duty people uh, feel towards a coach, As a coach myself, I sometimes get gifts, maybe from parents who wish their kids to not be cut or get more playing time or whatever the case may be. They may actually just think I'm a great coach. And then there's teachers. Teachers uh, get gifts. I went, I've stopped giving, I think, you know, I think some of my kids' teachers, because they've gone through, have got all of my books by now. They're probably like, okay, thanks. We, We get the point. Uh, and it hasn't seemed to intimidate them one bit in how they treat my children when it comes to certain theological points. But we give teachers gifts, do we not? And sometimes if it's a good teacher, it's a really nice gift. And as may be the case, whether or not this has happened in my household, I cannot confirm, a teacher maybe doesn't get a gift. I don't know. Maybe you do. In South Africa, we have what is called Labola. And Labola, for those of you who understand the uh, southern African cultures, that if you uh, want to get married and you're seeking a wife, there is a bride price, labola. And uh, it used to be technically cattle, but uh, with the modern world and its uh, various advancements, you have to come up with a certain price that is set by the bride's father in which you have to pay. That is duty. You must give a gift to the family, but it is built into the duty that is required of the person. So you have love, you have duty. You also have thankfulness. Sometimes people give gifts out of thankfulness. They're very thankful for something and they give a gift. Now again, the duty and the thankfulness can go together. Duty because this is just what people do, but you're also thankful for the duty that has brought about this gift. Sometimes it's out of guilt. You've done something wrong, and you give a gift. Maybe husbands understand this with regards to their wives. Uh, Maybe with regards to a friend. Who knows? But you feel guilty for how you've acted. You feel guilty for something you've done, and you bring a gift. And that is another reason. Sometimes it's self-interest. Why do we give a gift? Purely because of self-interest. We are Uh, interesting, interested in ourselves, and so we think, how can we benefit ourselves? So when will a young man be at his best towards a young lady that he is uh, courting, dating, or whatever word you wish to use? He will usually be at his best at the beginning, and he will be at his most inventive. And the gifts will be something that are meant to woo her affection, And if there are no gifts at the beginning of the relationship, let me just give you a little insight into how things will probably proceed. There probably won't be any later on then. So, I would dump him if you didn't get any gifts early. 
And that I'm prepared to stand by. Self-interest. And there can be a good type of self-interest as well. I'm not even saying that all self-interest is necessarily sinful. Some self-interest is built into who we are as human beings. We do a lot of things out of good self-interest, sometimes out of sinful self-interest. There's also pity. We see somebody in need and we give them a gift. Sometimes you've seen someone in a destitute state, you give them a gift. I'll never forget in South Africa, this is very hard, coming from Victoria, North America, and then you see people on the side of the road, and I remember one night driving home with my wife, and there's a young boy who comes to our car uh, window, and he basically tried to steal Barb's accounting book. He didn't try to steal, he just said he wanted anything. He saw her big accounting book that she had at university, and he says, I'll take that, and we were like, what do you mean take that? What are you going to do with this? Now, you see people in such a state, you wish you can help them. You give them food, sometimes money, or sometimes you're able to offer them work. Whatever the case may be, you see someone and you take pity on them. You have mercy. It is built into maybe love as well, or you even have a sense of duty. But then also sometimes people give gifts because of the praise of others. You give a gift and others see that you give the gift and you get all of the a blessing that comes from the praise of men. Others see what a wonderful person that you are. So if you were to uh, come down the aisle now and uh, say, Ah, Pastor, I do hope you'll have a nice time in Prince Edward Island. I, I must get going, but I wanted to make sure that you had this $10 uh, bill to help you pay for the teas at the golf course and left it right here. Um, we might think that's a little bit strange, of course, but the point is when you do things for others to see, you can be giving a gift because you want the praise of others. And then, finally, and this is not an exhaustive list, but I did want us to see something of the dynamic of gift-giving, control. You give a gift to control someone. You give someone such a big gift that they almost become indebted to you, and so you have to be careful about also what you do receive from someone. It could be in the realm of a teacher receiving a gift. It could be a sports coach. It could be an employee Uh, It could be someone who's seeking to control you and they control you with the vastness of the gift that is out of proportion to what you really should be receiving. So with that background in mind, what do we find in Scriptures? Well, we find a lot of emphasis on gift-giving in the Scriptures. For example, just a few examples. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, we read, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There is a biblical command as well as a promise, a blessing for those who give gifts. In 2 Corinthians 9, we read it earlier, but here's another principle to keep in our hearts and minds. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. And here's the principle of how we are to, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So it's emphasizing, I think, the love over the duty, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. How do you know that God loves you? Imagine, again, if you will just bear with me, coming before the elders for your interview, and we say, how do you know that God loves you? 
loves you. And uh, one person says, well, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me. And you say, okay, yeah, that answer always works. Thank you so much. And another says, well, I, I know that Jesus came and died for my sins. And then the third person sitting there and says, well, I'm actually a cheerful giver. That would be a great answer. I'm very happy when I give. And then you'd say, because God loves a cheerful giver. Proverbs chapter 11 we read earlier. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. And withholds, another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Now, if you actually read 2 Corinthians 9, what you find is as you read that chapter, the same principle is being offered here in Proverbs chapter 11. So here's an example. A Christian comes into some financial trouble, and they're trying to get out of financial trouble, and they say to you, and this is now your elder deacon training, they say to you, would it be okay if I just stopped giving to the church for a little while in order to get out of this predicament. What would you say? The wisdom of the world would say, yeah, you know, you just for a period of time, you need to make sure you can pay your debts, all of this stuff. I understand. The wisdom of God is different than the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of God is, do you want to get out of debt? Do you want to get out of financial trouble? The last thing you should stop doing is giving to the church. Not the first, the last thing, because the promises are actually offered here in Proverbs. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. And I'll tell you something based upon pastoral experience. People who have been in financial trouble, who then decide to shortchange the church and its work, don't usually get out of financial trouble. They don't. I really can tell you with a clear conscience, I don't care about the money in this church. I know there are some churches where it becomes a bigger issue. Finances are tight. That's not an issue right now by God's grace. It isn't. But I'll tell you, if I want you to be blessed in this life, if I want you to increase and to see God's blessing upon your life, I will tell you the best thing you can do is put God first. Give, give, give. Because there are promises in 2 Corinthians 9 and here in Proverbs. Now the rich have a specific duty because in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, they are told they are to do good. Speaking of the wealthy to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And guess what happens? You ever heard the phrase, the rich get richer? There's something Christian about that. Because if everything else is true, those who are generous will never lose. Those who are generous will be blessed because of the promises offered and that's a glorious thing, that God is going to bless you because you have a heart that wants to give rather than keep. Now, there are specific examples also. Those are general principles. The specific examples you could see in different contexts. So like Abraham and Melchizedek. Abraham has the plunder, sees Melchizedek. You can see this in Genesis chapter 14, verse 17 to 24. And he gives him a tithe, a tenth of the so-called booty that he had. 
and gives it to Melchizedek. There is a gift, and he gives it to him. In Genesis chapter 24, the story of uh, Isaac and Rebekah, Isaac's servant, goes, and when Abraham's servant uh, heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And remember, he's going on behalf of Isaac, but basically on behalf of Abraham. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And there's a Example of an ancient cultural practice which would be equivalent to what would be a bride price today. But the point was there was a gift that was given. In Matthew chapter 2, remember the Magi, however many of them we do not know, but they go to the house, they see the child with Mary his mother, they fall down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasured treasures, they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. There's a natural response that happens to all of us when we are beholding someone that we admire, love, respect, wish to honor, where there is a gift. So you could take the spiritual route and say, well, you know, they fell down and they worshipped and that was enough. But there's a reason the text tells us there were gifts that were given. A mere thank you can be enough. And for some people, that's all they want is just a thank you. But oftentimes, gifts are a visible testimony to our thankfulness. In John chapter 12, that moving account of Mary who takes a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. What was the moving cause of this great costly gift It was love. But it wasn't just her saying, I love you. It wasn't her just bowing down before Him. Could she have done that? And would Christ have received it? Yes. But the text tells us that she was prepared to give Him the most expensive thing she could offer. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Now, who was it that objected to this? It was Judas one of his disciples, who was about to betray him. And he said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So you have to understand something about people who will publicly speak out against gifts sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So Jesus rebukes him and says, Leave her alone so she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Here again is a gift of love, but it had a tangible cost to what she offered. Now, with all of this said, Why do we see a lot of emphasis on gifts and these types of things in the Bible? And the reason is because they are analogous to who God is. God is the great gift giver. So you read in James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. God is the great gift 
giver. That is why at the end of 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, undescribable gift, a gift beyond our ability to even express in its worth and value. So everything actually proceeds from God. In fact, there's a sense in which you assume the role of God in the life of someone else when you give them a gift because ultimately every gift is from God. You may be the means that God uses to bless somebody else. Which is why when you receive a gift, you should receive it as from the Lord, not just that person. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been embarrassed and said, oh no, and you've tried to refuse a gift? Now, there may be occasions where it's wise to refuse a gift. I'm not denying that. But a lot of the times, you should actually just be thankful and say, thank you very much. That's very thoughtful of you. Don't make the situation worse by feigning embarrassment and saying, oh no, not possibly do that for me. Just say, thank you. I deserve it. (laughs) But receive it with thanksgiving because it's from the Lord. Give it because it's from the Lord. And the greatest example of God's gift is in the gift of His Son. I was reading Stephen Charnock on this actual point this week, and it was quite mesmerizing to me. And I have a few quotes, and I hope you'll not be too upset as I share them with you. But he said, In God's giving Christ to be our Redeemer, He gave the highest gift that it was possible for divine goodness to bestow, You take infinite divine goodness and think about the highest and best and costliest gift that God could bestow, and there is no greater gift for God to give than His Son. In fact, he says, never did God go further in any of His excellent perfections than this. It is such a gift that cannot be transcended with a choicer one, with a better one. He is, as it were, come to the last might of His treasure. And though He could create millions of worlds for us, He cannot give a greater Son to us. He gives us a Son to whom He commands all the angels to worship. That is the Son that He gave. In giving creatures to us, such as animals for food and looking at and seeing such glories. He gives the riches of the earth, but in giving Himself to us, He gives the riches of heaven. That is God's gift. And in giving us His Son, He has given us the very best. I think it was Augustine who said this, and I'm paraphrasing him now. He said, once God had given us His Son, And once God had given us the Spirit along with His Son, there was nothing else left for God to give us. Because everything else arises from the gift of His Son and the Spirit. Now just as we close a few points of application, the first is this. What makes God's gift of His Son so remarkable? What makes it so remarkable? And you could say, well, it's His only Son, and that would be correct. But one thing occurred to me is that 
the greatness of God's gift of Jesus to us is based upon the fact that he doesn't actually need anything in return. There's nothing that we can give God to make him happier. God is totally sufficient in himself. He's independent. He's in need of nothing. So the giving of his son was not something that increases anything for God. It doesn't make God better. It doesn't make God happier. He is happy. He's infinitely happy. The giving of His Son is a gift that actually makes us happier, but doesn't make God happier. That means it was freely given and that He doesn't actually need anything in return. Does He accept our praise? Yes, but He doesn't need anything. And so the freeness of the gift given by God is that there was no duty. There was no duty from God. There was no guilt. No guilt from God. If you go back over the reasons, there was no self-interest in the sinful sense. There was love. And why did He do it? Because He loves us. And if you go back even farther, why did He love us? You can only ever answer with the fact that He loves us. You can't get to a higher reason. So why should we give gifts? Because it makes us like our Heavenly Father. But it's also a way to overcome greed because giving gifts is antithetical to greed. In Psalm 37 verse 21, we read, The wicked borrows but does not pay back. The righteous is generous and gives. There's a juxtaposition between the wicked and the righteous. And the wicked is greedy, but the righteous is generous. How do you overcome greed? How do you overcome always wanting, wanting, wanting? The way to overcome that is to be generous. To fight greed, you must be generous. To fight prayerlessness, you need to pray. And that's just the way that God has it. Now, there's a very stern warning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, you have a list of people who do not inherit the kingdom of God. And while it is true that homosexuals, unrepentant, will not inherit the kingdom of God, they are not the only class of people listed. The sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. That may be heterosexual people, but they're sexually immoral. But it's not just those people. We are told also the greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. Which means every Christian must be a generous Christian. Must be someone who is seeking to bless others because they have been blessed by God. They have been loved by God in such a way that the love of God overflows in their lives to other people. That is why Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 9 to 10, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. There's a promise there. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us do good to everybody, but especially people who are of the household of faith. Are you seeking to do good to people in your midst? 
That's a searching question perhaps for all of us, but certainly some of us. What are you doing in our midst to the people that God has entrusted here at Faith Church to be generous to them, to bless them, to gift them in tangible ways? And there are a thousand different types of gifts you can give. It could even be time. It doesn't have to be money. It can be attention. It can be prayer. It can be compassion, support. It can be so many things to anyone who actually wants to give. The issue isn't, oh, what will I give? The question is, do I want to give? And people will always do what they want to do. That's one thing I've learned about humanity in general. People will always do what they want to do. There is no place too far for someone to drive if they want to be there. There is no cost too great for someone who wants the thing that they can have. And so when it comes to Christ, why did He lay down His life? Because He wanted to. He wasn't compelled in a sort of sense where He went unwillingly. If He went unwillingly, He didn't die for our sins. He went Willingly. In fact, he went more willingly to the cross than you come to church. He went more willingly to the cross than you give a few dollars to the Lord. He went more willingly to the cross than you pick up the phone to ask someone how they're doing if they're ill. He went more willingly to the cross than anything that we can do that's actually good. And that is precisely why we should be gifting others in tangible ways. Not just as Jesus says, someone comes to your door and they're hungry and you say, ah, well, brother, stay warm and well fed. But tangible ways because the gospel is not based upon an abstract. It is based upon no greater love than a man has than this, than he lays down his life. The actual giving of his life is a tangible gift, an infinite gift, and a gift that is meant to compel you likewise to lay down your life for others in blessing them. May I encourage you this week, this summer, this year, the rest of your life, to think about how you can actively seek to bless other people in tangible ways that you know will make them happy. And then come and complain to me. Come and complain to me and say, Mark, you know, I gave up some time. I gave someone something. They smiled and they were so happy and I'm so upset with you. I can't believe you preached that sermon. It's brought such misery to me. Just try it. It's impossible because the ways of God cannot be disproven. He will always come through on His promise that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank You for Your Word and ask that we may have generous hearts because we are Christ's and we are meant to be like Christ. And Christ was like His Father. And so we will be like our Father. And we ask that we will do this for whatever reason it may be, but oh, may it never be without love. May it always have love, even if there is duty, even if there is pity, even if there is holy self-interest. 
We pray there may always be love in all that we do. For Jesus' sake, amen.